0: Chapter 12 of Principles of Geology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Principles of Geology by Charles Lyell. Chapter 12. Difference in Texture of the Older and Newer Rocks. Consolidation of Fossiliferous Strata. Some deposits originally solid transition and slaty texture, crystalline character of plutonic and metamorphic rocks, theory of their origin, essentially subterranean, no proofs that they were produced more abundantly at remote periods. Another argument in favor of the dissimilarity of the causes operating at remote and recent errors has been derived by many geologists from the more compact, stony, and crystalline texture of the older as compared with the newer rocks. Consolidation of strata This subject may be considered, first in reference to the fossiliferous strata, and secondly, in reference to those crystalline and stratified rocks which contain no organic remains, such as gneiss and Mycoshist. There can be no doubt that the former of these classes, or the fossiliferous, are generally more compact and stony in proportion as they are more ancient. It is also certain that a great part of them were originally in a soft and incoherent state, and that they have been since consolidated. Thus we find occasionally that shingle and sand have been agglutinated firmly together by a ferruginous or siliceous cement, or that lime and solution has been introduced so as to bind together materials previously incoherent. Organic remains have sometimes suffered a singular transformation, as for example where shells, corals, and wood are silicified. Their calcareous or ligneous matter having been replaced by nearly pure silica. The constituents of some beds have probably set and become hard for the first time when they emerged from beneath the water. But on the other hand, we observe in certain formations now in progress, particularly in coral reefs and in deposits from the waters of mineral springs, both calcareous and siliceous, that the texture of rocks may sometimes be stony from the first. This circumstance may account for exceptions to the general rule, not unfrequently met with, where solid strata are superimposed on others of a plastic and incoherent nature, as in the neighborhood of Paris, where the tertiary formations, consisting often of compact limestone and siliceous grit, are more stony than the subjacent chalk it will be readily understood that the various solidifying causes, including those above enumerated, together with the pressure of incumbent rocks and the influence of subterranean heat, most all of them require time in order to exert their full power. If in the course of ages they modify the aspect and internal structure of stratified deposits, It will give rise to a general distinctness of character in the older, as contrasted with the newer, formations. But this distinctness will not be the consequence of any original diversity. They will be unlike, just as the wood in the older trees of a forest usually differs in texture and hardness from that of younger individuals of the same species. TRANSITION TEXTURE in the original classification of Werner, the highly crystalline rocks, such as granite and gneiss, which contain no organic remains, were called a primary, and the fossiliferous strata, secondary, while to another class of an age-intermediate between the primary and the secondary he gave the name of transition. They were termed transition because they partook, in some degree, in their mineral composition— of the nature of the most crystalline rocks, such as gneiss nice and mica-schist, while they resembled the fossiliferous series in containing occasionally organic remains and exhibiting evident signs of a mechanical origin. It was at first imagined that the rocks having this intermediate texture had been all deposited subsequently to the series called primary and before all the more earthy and fossiliferous formations. But when the relative position and organic remains of these transition rocks were better understood, it was perceived that they did not all belong to one period. On the contrary, the same mineral characters were found in strata of very different ages, and some formations occurring in the Alps, which several of the ablest scholars of Werner had determined to be transition, were ultimately ascertained by means of their fossil contents and position, to be members of the Cretaceous and even of the Nummulitic or Eocene period. These strata had in fact acquired the transition texture from the influence of causes which, since their deposition, had modified their internal arrangement. Texture and origin, of plutonic and metamorphic rocks. Among the most singular of the changes superinduced on rocks, we have occasionally to include the slaty texture, the divisional planes, of which sometimes intersect the true planes of stratification, and even pass directly through embedded fossils. If then the crystalline, the slaty, and other modes of arrangement once deemed characteristic of certain periods in the history of the earth have in reality been assumed by fossiliferous rocks of different ages and at different times we are prepared to inquire whether the same may not be true of the most highly crystalline state such as that of gneiss schist, and statuary marble that the peculiar characteristics of such rocks are really due to a variety of modifying causes has long been suspected by many geologists and the doctrine has gained ground of late although a considerable difference of opinion still prevails according to the original neptunian theory all the crystalline formations were precipitated from a universal menstruum or chaotic fluid Antecedently to the creation of animals and plants, the unstratified granite having been first thrown down was to serve as a floor or foundation on which gneiss an and other stratified rocks might repose. Afterwards, when the igneous origin of granite was no longer disputed, many conceived that a thermal ocean enveloped the globe at a time when the first formed crust of granite was cooling but when it still retained much of its heat. The hot waters of this ocean held in solution the ingredients of gneiss, mica schist, hornblende schist, clay slate, and marble, rocks which were precipitated, one after the other in a crystalline form. No fossils could be enclosed in them the high temperature of the fluid, and the quantity of mineral matter which it held in solution, rendering it unfit for the support of organic beings. It would be inconsistent with the plan of this work to enter here into a detailed account of what I have elsewhere termed the metamorphic theory, but I may state that it is now demonstrable in some countries that fossiliferous formations, some of them of the age of the Silurian strata, as near Christiana in Norway, others belonging to the Oolitic period, as around Carrara in Italy, have been converted partially into gneiss, mica-schist, and statuary marble. The transmutation has been effected apparently by the influence of subterranean heat, acting under great pressure, or by chemical and electrical causes operating in a manner not yet understood, and which have been termed Plutonic action as expressing in one word all the modifying causes which may be brought into play at great depths and under conditions never exemplified at the surface. To this plutonic action the fusion of granite itself in the bowels of the earth as well as the superinducement of the metamorphic texture into sedimentary strata must be attributed and in accordance with these views the age of each metamorphic formation may be said to be twofold for we have first to consider the period when it originated an aqueous deposit in the form of mud sand marl or limestone secondly the date at which it acquired a crystalline texture the same strata therefore may according to this view be very ancient in reference to the time of their deposition, and very modern in regard to the period of their assuming the metamorphic character. No proofs that these crystalline rocks were produced more abundantly at remote periods. Several modern writers, without denying the truth of the plutonic or metamorphic theory, still contend that the crystalline and non-fossiliferous formations whether stratified or unstratified, such as gneiss and granite, are essentially ancient as a class of rocks. They were generated, say they, most abundantly in the primeval state of the globe, since which time the quantity produced has been always on the decrease, until it became very inconsiderable in the Oolitic and Cretaceous periods, and quite evanescent before the commencement of the tertiary epoch. Now the justness of these views depends almost entirely on the question whether granite, gneiss, and other rocks of the same order ever originated at the surface, or whether according to the opinions above adopted, they are essentially subterranean in their origin, and therefore entitled to the appellation of hypogene. If they were formed superficially in their present state, and as copiously in the modern as in the more ancient periods we ought to see a greater abundance of tertiary and secondary than of primary granite and gneiss but if we adopt the hypogene theory before explained the rapid diminution in volume among the visible rocks in the earth's crust in proportion as we investigate the formations of a newer date is quite intelligible if a melted mass of matter be now cooling very slowly at the depth of several miles beneath the crater of an active volcano it must remain invisible until great revolutions in the earth's crust have been brought about so also if stratified rocks have been subjected to plutonic action and after having been baked or reduced to semi-fusion are now cooling and crystallizing far underground it will probably require the lapse of many periods before they will be forced up to the surface and exposed to view even at a single point to effect this purpose there may be need of as great a development of subterranean movement as that which in the alps andes and himalaya has raised marine strata containing ammonites to the height of eight thousand Fourteen thousand and sixteen thousand and feet. By parity of reasoning, we can hardly expect that any hypogene rocks of the tertiary periods will have been brought within the reach of human observation, seeing that the emergence of such rocks must always be so long posterior to the date of their origin, and still less can formations of this class become generally visible until so much time has elapsed as to confer on them high relative antiquity. Extensive denudation must also combine with upheaval before they can be displayed at the surface throughout wide areas. All geologists who reflect on subterranean movements now going on, and the eruptions of active volcanoes, are convinced that great changes are now continually in progress in the interior of the earth's crust far out of sight. They must be conscious, therefore, that the inaccessibility of the regions in which these alterations are taking place compels them to remain in ignorance of a great part of the working of existing causes, so that they can only form vague conjectures in regard to the nature of the products, which volcanic heat may elaborate under great pressure. But when they find in mountain chains of high antiquity that what was once the interior of the earth's crust has since been forced outwards and exposed to view they will naturally expect in the examination of those mountainous regions to have an opportunity of gratifying their curiosity by obtaining a sight not only of the superficial strata of remote eras but also of the contemporaneous nether-formed rocks having recognized therefore in such mountain chains some ancient rocks of aqueous and volcanic origin, corresponding in character to superficial formations of modern date, they will regard any other class of ancient rocks, such as granite and gneiss, as the residual phenomena of which they are in search. These latter rocks will not answer the expectations previously formed of their probable nature and texture unless they wear a foreign and mysterious aspect, and have in some places been fused or altered by subterranean heat. In a word, unless they differ wholly from the fossiliferous strata deposited at the surface, or from the lava and scoriae thrown out by volcanoes in the open air. It is the total distinctness, therefore, of crystalline formations, such as granite, hornblende, schist, and the rest, FROM EVERY SUBSTANCE OF WHICH THE ORIGIN IS FAMILIAR TO US, THAT CONSTITUTES THEIR CLAIM TO BE REGARDED AS THE EFFECTS OF CAUSES NOW IN ACTION IN THE SUBTERRANEAN REGIONS. THEY BELONG NOT TO AN ORDER OF THINGS WHICH HAS PASSED AWAY. THEY ARE NOT THE MONUMENTS OF A PRIMEVAL PERIOD, BEARING INSCRIBED UPON THEM IN obsolete CHARACTERS THE WORDS AND PHRASES OF A DEAD LANGUAGE but they teach us that part of the living language of nature which we cannot learn by our daily intercourse with what passes on the habitable surface end of chapter twelve